theyeshiva.net. We'll begin today a new mimer that's connected to Pesach. Today is Beis Nissen. Even according to the Pshimim and Gamliel, you start learning about Pesach. The Gemara and Pesachim quotes a machlaikas between uh, the Chachamim and the Pshimim and Gamliel. When you start learning about Pesach, Shailim v'Dershim b'Hilchas Hachag Shloshim Yom Kaidem Hachag. Chachamim say you start thirty days before the Pshimim and Gamliel says two weeks before. Because Moshe started to talk about it two weeks before, Rishchidish Nissen. We read yesterday's Hachidish Azalachem, Rishchidashim, Rishin Hulachem, Lachach Yashana, and he started to speak about the carbon Pesach and Pesach. Today, according to all the Shittas, one could certainly prepare. So we'll begin our new Maimer on Pesach, the Maimarim of Pesach of the Balatanya, primarily in Lukudatur de Parshish Tzav. They put into Tzav. So please go to the we'll do the first one on Pesach, which is on page twenty two. On the bottom, all the way on the bottom, the right column on the bottom, or Daf Yud Aleph, column three on the bottom. Lahovin Mashakasov Bhagad. See on the bottom of twenty two, Lahovin Mashakasov Bhagad. She says, Lahovin Mashakasov Bhagad to understand what we say in the Haggadah. We pick up the matzah, we hold the matzah, and we say, this matzah that we're eating, why are we eating it? Because the dough of our fathers, of our forefathers, did not have the opportunity to become leaven, to become chametz, to rise, until Hashem revealed Himself and He redeemed them. And the Haggadah quotes the Pasuk that the Jewish people baked the, the doughs that they prepared, the flour or dough that they prepared, they baked it as, as matzah, why ki gershom mitzrayim? Because they were expelled, they were thrown out of Egypt, and therefore they didn't even have a chance to, uh, to let it rise, to let it ferment, they had to immediately leave, and hence it was baked as matzah. Because they had to put it in the ovens immediately, and they didn't have that chance. Uh, you know, people who make today sourdough challah, the real fermenting could take some time, and every type of fermenting takes time, they didn't have a chance. The mashma. What does this indicate? Ha'ilu loy gurshu. If they would have not been expelled, if the Egyptians would have said... Take your time, do it on your pace, and the dough would have an opportunity to ferment. They wouldn't have to throw it into the oven and eat matzah because they would have all the time they wanted and they would have baked the bread in an ordinary fashion where you allow it to rise. They would eat chametz. He says, because they were expelled. Therefore, they had to bake it as, as matzah. Already, they were commanded. Moshe commanded to them, on the 10th of the month, all of the mitzvahs that are discussed in Parshas HaChaydash, one of them is, you should eat the meat of the carbon Pesach on this night. And that meat they had to buy, it says from the 10th of Nisan, that says, 
you had to take the sheep or the goat and prepare it for the carbon four days earlier. And the pasuk continues, al eat it together with matzah and mutter. In other words, the commandment to eat matzah came already in Rosh Nisan. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, on the 10th of Nisan, you should prepare the carbon Pesach and eat it with matzah. So already on the 10th of Nisan, they already had to, either they knew about the matzah, prepare the matzah, realize there's going to be matzah. Let's say there would have been no story with the Egyptians. Nobody would have been expelled. They have all the time in the world. They still had to eat matzah. There was a mitzvah that the night of Pesach, you eat matzah. What in matzah zushan oichlam al shomah? You know why we're eating this matzah? Because the Torah says, but erev toichlam matzahs. On the night of Pesach, you should eat matzahs. And that night, they also ate matzahs before they, they left Mitzrayim by day. They ate matzah at the Seder. Why did they eat matzah at the Seder? Nobody threw them out yet. It was before Makas Pcheres. They didn't have permission to leave yet. The permission to leave came in the middle of the night after the first male born, the, the oldest males died. So Pyre got up and he said, leave. And they rushed them and they hastened them. Fine, I understand. But they ate matzah much earlier. They ate matzah at the beginning of the night together with the carpet bags. Why did they eat matzah? They were in Egypt. The answer is because Hashem said that at this night you eat matzah. So you should say, matzah zushan noichlum al Because it's a mitzvah to eat matzah. Just like the Jewish people, the first night of Pesach ate matzah. There was another story that happened the next day. And that is, it happens to be that what? That they were expelled. They didn't have a chance to eat, to eat, to eat, to make, to make matzah. To make chametz, they ate matzah. That's what he says. That's the matzah. Also for generations, they were told in Parsha's boy, the same Parsha, Shivas Yamim, Sa'ir, Loi Matzah Bibateichem Chuli, Bechol Moishveseichem Teichlo Matzahs. For seven days, there shouldn't be chametz. In all of your meishvesechem, in all of your communities, wherever you live, you should eat matzah. The Lashon is, in the end of Parshas Bayrit, Shivas Yamim Sa'arla Yamatzim, close to the end, Perikid Beis, Pasuk Yutas. Shivas Yamim Sa'arla Yamatzim, you shouldn't have yeast, chametz, seven days in your house, because whoever eats chametz, there's a penalty of, of karas. Now, when was all of this? When does all of this happen? This is basically the commandment that Hashem gives to Moshe on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. This is two weeks before they're leaving. He tells them on the 10th of Nisan, you should bring a carbon Pesach. That night, the night of Tesvav, you should eat the meat together with matzah, to eat together with matzah, and all of the instructions how to eat it. It should be roasted, it shouldn't be cooked, etc., etc., to put the blood on the doors. And then he says, and then he says, uh, this day will be a zikaron. Seven days you'll eat matzah. Erev Pesach, you should get rid of the chametz. And then he adds, for seven days throughout all the generations, there shouldn't be chametz in your house. And remember, this is all in Egypt two weeks before Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That means that before anybody ran, before anybody was expelled, before anybody had an issue, with it becoming chametz or becoming matzah, because it's not time, there was already a mitzvah that Hashem gave, that on Pesach you don't eat chametz, and on Pesach you eat matzah. And the first night it's a mitzvah in HaTorah, just like then it was a mitzvah. And then the Pesach continues, Moshe called them, and he told them all of these mitzvahs, and uh, 
Then is the actual story. In the middle of the night, Hashem struck Evi B'chayr and and and, uh, and chased them uh, and chased them out. And the Egyptians were so anxious for them to get out. So then it says they took their dough before it became chametz. They took their dough before it became chametz. This is later. Why terem yachmetz? Because they were in such a rush. Nonetheless, what do we say to the Haggadah? That the reason we're eating matzah is why? Because of that story. It's an interesting addition, but even without that story, we would still be eating matzah. just like they ate matzah the first night. We're mechuyiv tit matzah. In the Pasuk itself, not only in the Haggadah question on the Haggadah, the way the Haggadah, which is based on the Mechilta, the way the Haggadah, the way the Chazal formulated the mitzvah of matzah. But in the Pasuk itself, you have to understand. The mitzvah for generations was all a commemoration to what happened by the exodus of Egypt. In other words, Hashem told Moshe, this is what you're going to do tonight, this year, and then this is what I want you to do every single year. What do I want you to do this year? Make a carbon Pesach, eat matzah, etc. What do I want you to do each year? Lizikaren. He says, make a holiday. Eat matzah seven days. Get rid of the chametz erev Pesach. And you're not allowed to eat chametz for seven days. And eat matzah. But here you have an interesting anomaly. The Gemara explains in Psachim that Pesach Mitzrayim, the Isra Chomet was only one day, not seven days. In other words, that year, the year when they came out of Mitzrayim, the Isra Chomet was the first day. That was the Isra Chomet. Yoy Mechot. So it's a very strange thing, which is why they would have baked it as Chomet. If there was an Isra to have Chomet for seven days, what do you mean they... Baked it as matzah because the Egyptians expelled them. Nobody's expelling us. We're still not baking chametz. The answer is we're not allowed to. But over there, the issue was only yoy mechad. First night. Right. Right. The Lashna Gemara is... Oh. <laughs> because on that day, they had to use matzah anyway. So this expels story. Exactly, exactly. So they had to take and make matzah because they were expelled. And then what are we doing to commemorate Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim? What are we doing? Seven days. So he says, that itself has to be understood. Shiva when that didn't even exist originally. What existed originally was Isser one day and to eat matzah that night. Even for their, for their generation, they had to eat matzah also on the day. So what is the strange story? No, only at night, only at night. Only at night. They didn't have it for seven days. Right, but still, they had to eat matzah on that night, right? That night, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what so the story, they, they expelled or not expelled, they would have to make matzahs anyway. The Lashna Mishnah says, can I take a quote? The Lashna Mishnah is, Dav Tzadik Vav Meralev. The Mishnah says, Ma bin Pesach Mitzrayim le Pesach Doiris. What's the difference between... Pesach Mitzrayim, the Pesach that they made there, and the Pesach we do in generations. So he says over there, they had to take the carbon Pesach on the 10th of Nisan. Okay? They had to sprinkle the blood with a bundle of hyssop and on the door, on their doors. They had to eat it fast, but Laila Echad, that night. Pesach Doris Noi Kol Shiva. 
and Pesach Doris is knowing all the seven days of Yom Tov. That's what the Gemara, that's what the Gemara, that's what the Mishnah says on Tzadik Vavim and Aleph. The reason the Balatanya here is Tzadik Vavim and Beis is because this Mishnah is cryptic. So that's why the Gemara explains, Rabbi Yisya Haglili explains that what? That what? The Isser to eat Chametz in Mitzrayim was Noyeg only one day. Why? It says, that the Isser Achilles Chametz was Noyeg by Pesach Mitzrayim that one day, that one day also, the day also. And Pesach Doyres, it's Noyeg Kol Shiva. Does it mean that they were supposed to have Matzah anyhow? Yeah, yeah, that's the question. Atazai, they were supposed to have matzah anyway. The fact that they were chased out is a completely separate issue. Morning when they were baking matzah, I and mean, they would have let it rice. Would they have let it rice because of the tzimui? They have to let they have to make it into matzah in the morning with tazai. They have to they have to keep it from becoming kavanah. Because of the tzimui, when they were told to eat matzah the first time, did they know which day? Yeah, the fourteenth. Yeah. The fourteenth, he said clearly. Seven days, bloodoidus for generations. There's an issa for seven days, and already out of Pesach, you have to get rid of the chametz. In a chanami. At that time, there was no slavery anymore. They had freedom. The Gemara says already Rosh Hashanah they were Rosh Hashanah butla butla avoid them in Mitzrayim. So they had time to plan it. Why in the last minute everything happened? No, it wasn't like that. It was two weeks before. They needed to get a sheep and a goat on the 10th of Nisan, leave it four days, yeah, and then be at Makrav on the fourth day. It wasn't so rushed. Well, I'm saying the Matzah itself, they had time to plan to make they, Yeah, and they did. They did. They did plan it. Like we plan it. They knew that the night of Yudalad Nisan, the night of Tesvav, they have to have a Seder and eat the Karpen Pesach, sheep or goat, with the families, and also eat Matzah and eat Marah. What does it say, Kigosh? Right. And they're in the Haggadah. In the Haggadah, yeah. The reason the Haggadah says we eat matzahs, why? Because they were expelled and they didn't have time to let the dough rise. When even if that would have happened, okay, it happened, but even if that would have not happened, we're still eating matzah at night. Mm-hmm. Just like they ate matzah the first night. Why? Because the Torah says the night of Pesach, you eat matzah the first night, the first time, and the anniversary every year. There was an additional thing that they were expelled. But they were told already this night you eat matzah and seven and and uh, and and not just then but also ledoidus for generations to eat matzah the first night not to eat chametz for seven days etc. Then he asks another shail in the pasuk itself. Moshe says, "There's what to do this year. What are you going to do for all the generations? Why are you going to do it all the generations? Lizikaran to remember zechelitzis mitzray." He says, "But there's something weird, strange here. When it comes to matzah, we're doing what we did then. When it comes to chametz, then." The issue was Noyeg only one day. So the question that he's not asking here is that God asks a question and gives a reason, but the Pasuk also asks the same question. It's a different reason. Which, uh, so we're doing it because of the Zechelitzis in turn. And we're saying because of the Gershon. Right, no, that's a separate child. It says, but Pasuk asks my Yeshlohavim that the Tzivui Ledoides was Zechelitzis Mitzrayim. But if you go back to the original, there was a completely different setup. When we're offering a carbon Pesach, it comes with a seven-day package, right? You eat the carbon Pesach the first night, and you're not going to eat matzah for seven days, seven days of Pesach plus hair of Pesach. When it comes to Pesach Mitzrayim, the Gemara says, Only that one day. The Lashon was, 
Pesach Mitzrayim, they were ushered to eat chametz one night, the night of Pesach. Rabbi Yisrael says, no, no yoyim echad, it was one day. And he says that what? That Isra Achilles Chametz was Noyeg Pesach Mitzrayim throughout the whole day, not only the night. Okay, so it went by day and by night. But that's it. That's it. It was over. The second night of Pesach, what we call the second night of Pesach, right? The se- second Seder in Chutz Laretz, or Chalamoyed in Eretz Yisrael. It's already Chametz. <laughs> you don't have to wait till Achim Shal Pesach. Mitzray Achim Shal Pesach. So he says there's something off. It's like the original was much weaker than the copy. <laughs> We're doing it as a copy, and really it's much weaker. Those are the questions. The explanation in this is the Pesach Mitzrayim Pesach Mitzrayim was taken noyeg only one day. In other words, the Isra Chametz was only one day. And that's why the reason they didn't eat Chametz the first night and first day was taken because the mitzvah. But then he says, But that's why there had to be this whole thing, that it's because they were expelled. Because That's the reason they were eating matzah on the second day, and on the third day, and on the fourth day. Because the Isr was only. By us, the reason we're not eating chametz for seven days, because there's an Isr to eat chametz for seven days. They didn't have that Isr. So the second night of Pesach, this, the night after Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim, right? They could have eaten chametz. The next day they could have eaten chametz. Why didn't they eat chametz? Because they didn't have. Why didn't they have? Because they were expelled. It's not like they took the dough and they fermented it and they had bread and they took it out and they fed their kids bread. They had matzah, they threw it in the oven before it, before it rised and inflated itself, before it fermented. So they had only matzah. The great commentator on Rashi explains in Parshish Re'an the Pasuk, you should eat matzah, why? Because you rushed out, same question, that's not the reason why you're eating matzah. Because you went in haste, chiposin means with tremendous rizus, with tremendous swiftness and alacrity. It's like they did the opposite, they told him to do matzah and said, you know what, we're going to make bread. Oh, but he rushed them out, so now we don't oh. So that's the interesting thing. The first night they ate matzah taka because it was a mitzvah to eat matzah. And they couldn't eat chametz. First of all, it was a mitzvah to eat matzah, and they also couldn't eat chametz, two things. So they couldn't have it together. The next day there was taka nisr chametz. But you need bread, you're going on the desert, they wanted, they wanted to have food, right? You're going on a trip, you know how Jews travel. <laughs> Especially when you're going to a desert. Especially Gans Klai Yisrael together. So, yeah. This is before the man. They knew that there's going to be man. So you got to have food. So now the question is, what type of food? So they could have had chametz. You could prepare for the journey with chametz. Because they were expelled, they didn't have chametz. Nonetheless, despite that they didn't have a mitzvah, but for generations, the tzivuy is not to have chametz for seven days. Expelled or not expelled, we have time, but still we have a mitzvah not to do it. Veheim zeichel mitzrayim. And it's still called a zeichel mitzrayim. So when we say this matzah that we're eating is because they didn't have time, it's strange because we're eating the matzah the night of Pesach when they did have time and it's a mitzvah. So what we just learned here is one nekudah, 
that because there was taken no Easter the other days, there had to be a special reason they had matzah for the other seven days. What's the explanation in all of this? This is the introduction to the Maimon. So as usual, you got to go back to the core. What is matzah? What is matzah? To understand all of this, you have to understand. To understand a little bit. So we first have to introduce the concept of mayadim l'simcha, which Yomtev Pesach is of course one of the three mayadim, the three holidays designated for joy. We see for me the main idea of Mayadim is Simcha. Mayadim Lissimcha. That's the Lashem we say in Davening. You have given us Mayadim. Now the word Mayad means a designated time. That's what Mayad is. Just like we say, Beis Vaad It's a designated place, right? Avad, Beis Havad, by the Sanhedrin. Or you'll have by the Aaron, Vinay Adati Lecha Shama. What's Vinay Adati Lecha Shama? Yeah, that's the designated place where I'm going to speak to you. There's designated spaces and there's designated times. Or if you want to express yourself this way, there are islands in space and there are islands in time. An island in space, a person is cruising through a huge ocean, Mayim Shein Lam Saif, it's endless, and then you see an island in space. Time goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes, doesn't stop, the clock stops for nobody. And there's an island in time, you know, you, just like an island in space, you get out of the ocean and you relax on the island, there's also an island in time. You take off time, you stop this man, so to speak, the Baltanya has an expression that Shabbos is Lamailam and Azman. In other words, there's an island in time when you go into a different mode, and you are uh, in a space of mayadim. There's Shabbos and then there's Yomtev. The, the, the definition of mayadim and Yomtev, the designated time, is for one purpose, Simcha. That's the whole purpose of the mayadim. Or the main purpose of the mayadim is to help a person achieve joy. As the Pasuk says, the mitzvah is you should rejoice b'chagecha in your holidays, your festivities. We see from here, this is the mitzvah of the chag, a person's simcha, a person's joy. Which, by the way, just in parentheses, I should add, that people prepare for Pesach, a lot, a lot of things. From here, it's mashma, the most important preparation is that you should be happy. The most important preparation for Pesach and for Yom Tebuchlal is that when you're home or wherever you are, you should be happy. You should be in a, in a happy place, in a happy space. Sometimes that preparation is forgotten. But that's actually the most important preparation because that's the purpose of the Mayadim. To be in a state of Simcha and to generate that to other people. When people are happy, the people around them are happy. When somebody is miserable, usually people around them, especially ones closest to them, are also miserable. Sha'az. Now, what's this concept called Simcha? Sha'az uzman gilu imaychin de'ime. Yamtif is a time when there is a certain revelation, not just a certain, or an intense revelation of what's called Moichin de Ima. Moichin literally means the intelligence of the mother. Moichin de Ima is Moichin is from the word Mayach, the brain, the brain, the mind, the the Ima of the mother. Which he's going to explain what that means. This is an expression from Kisvei Harizal. 
that Yom Tif is the time of Meichendim. In the writings of the Arizal, everything is mostly code language, cryptic code language. The expression then is that Yom Tif is the time, in pre Chaim and other works of the Arizal, is the time of Meichendim, the revelation of the mind of the mother. V'hu... This is what we say in Halal. He brings back the Akeres Habayis. Akeres Habayis from the word Akeres, from the word Akara. The one who is infertile. He brings, he brings her back. She becomes a mother of children who is rejoicing. We say Halal on Yom Tif. The opening of Halal is Eim Habanim Smecha. That's connected to the fact that Yom Tif is the time of Meichin De'ime, the joy that comes from the mother. Eim Habanim Smecha, a mother of children is happy. That's the happiness of a mother, her children, or at least a major part of her happiness, or it's deeply connected to her happiness. That's connected to Halal, which we say on Yom Tif. Shabbos, it says in Kabbalah, is the time of the revelation of Meichin Abba, the mind of the Father. Vehim Yoyser El Yoynim. Meichin Abba represents something more lofty than Meichin Da'ima. Ve'ein Shamchin is Gilu Simchike Be'yamtif. That's why on Shabbos, there's no revelation of joy like on Yamtif. Shabbos is the energy of Meichin Abba, which he's going to explain. Yamtif is the energy of Meichin Da'ima. Simcha, especially connected to Eim Habanim Smecha, like we say in Halal. On Shabbos, you don't have the same explosion or the same manifestation of Simcha on Yom Tif. It says, On Yom Tif is Samachta B'chagecha. On Yom Tif we say, Mo'yadim L'Simcha. Taka Shabbos is also an Indian of Simcha, especially an Indian of Oineg, there's mitzvahs Oineg Shabbos. But the Simcha is not emphasized like it is on Yom Tif. On Shabbos, doesn't say Yismuchov Malchuscha, right. Right, that's interesting. Yismuchov Malchuscha, so the Svardim say it, but Nusach Ashkenaz, you don't say it on Shabbos. On Yom Tif, you do say it. So here, he's saying something, he's also asking a question. If Meichin the Abba is Yoyser El Yoyin, what says, Ein Shamchin as Gilu Simcha Kebe Yom Tif? there should be more Simcha than on Yom Tif. Ha'inyin, the explanation is, Ki hinei, bi ur mohus Meichin de Ima, to understand what is Meichin de Ima, yuvon b'mashanoida, sh'yash b'chines, b'chines b'gilu yoyin seif baruchu. Have to understand it by introducing that there's two pchinas, there's two dimensions, in the revelation and the expression of the light of infinity, of the truth of Hashem. Ha'alif, number one is pchinas hishtalshalus v'seder hamadregus. What we call hishtalshalus, hishtalshalus means evolution. The word hishtalshalus comes from the word shalshelus, which is a chain, and it's one of the most fundamental ideas in all of. In the works of Kabbalah and Machshava and Chsidis. This is called Hishtalshlus, which is Seder Hamadregas, the order of steps. The order of steps means the evolution of levels. It means that there are two types of Giluyim, two types of revelations, as he says from Erdin Saif Baruch, from the light of infinity. One, is the one that's communicated through what we call hishtalshalos. It evolves. It goes through an order, a hierarchy. Like a seder. There's a seder, there's an order. Just like a chain. One rung leads to the lower rung, to the lower rung, to the lower rung. Of course, the chain is the very bad 
very inaccurate example because the chain, the quality of the lowest rung and the quality of the highest rung are exactly identical. It's just one is on the top, one is on the bottom because it's a physical metaphor. But in spirituality, when you say hishtalshalus, it means that it actually goes through a process of transformation or, or as, as the energy flows down through the madregas. And that's what he says, hamshachis me'ila le'ila. Ila is the term in Jewish philosophy in the Rambam's works and other works is Ila and Alul. Ila is a cause and Alul is an effect. Ila is an antecedent and Alul is the child of that, the offspring, what comes from it. You know, there's the chicken and there's the egg. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? The answer is the chicken. <laughs> the egg comes from the chicken and the egg becomes the mother, the Ila, for a new chicken when it hatches, and that chicken becomes the ila for a new egg, which becomes an ila for a new one. In other words, what is an alul on one level becomes an ila on another level, right? You are a child of your parents, and then you become a parent of your children. <laughs> and sometimes you got to be ready for that adjustment. you got to grow up, because you used to think you're an alul, but now you became an ila. <laughs> I was talking to a group of young light. A particular shul. So I said, doesn't only mean respect your father and mother. It also means respect your fatherhood and respect your motherhood. Respect yourself as a father and mother. You're not a child anymore. Respect yourself as a father. Respect the father in you. Don't look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm just a little immature, uh, dependent baby. Respect the avicha, the father in you. In other words, rise up. As Shmuel told Shaul HaMelech about Amalek, you may be small in your eyes, but in, in reality you're a leader, so you have to be able to assume that identity. So the Ila and Alul is that process where there's an Ila, there's a cause, including the first cause, and then it goes down, it just travels downward, and every Alul becomes an Ila, which to another Alul, etc., etc. When you're looking at, a, at an apple tree, right, you're looking at an Alul, at an alul, the seed is the antecedent, but that seed came from a previous apple tree all the way back to where? To Sheshes and to the first apple tree. And that really means that all of history is connected, you know. My DNA today, right, is, is, is a direct link to the DNA of, of, of my progenitors thousands and thousands of years ago. And in that sense, you know, history is very tight. It's very, very small. It's like the past is in the present and the future is also in the present. So that's the process of, of Hishtalshlus, both on a physical level, but on a physical level is only a manifestation of the spiritual level. Ha'arev ha'arev ha'arev. There's a ray, and then there's the ray of the ray, and there's the ray of the ray of the ray of the ray, etc. Kamashal seichel b'midiz, u'midiz b'machshave chuli. An example for this in a person would be, seichel morphs into midiz, midiz morphs into machshave. Chuli, Dibur, Emaisa. Seichel would mean deep awareness of something. Seichel is an idea. Midas is the way the idea develops into a value that a person has. Yeah, an, a, a value means something that's a personal value. Seichel is just an idea which could be abstract. It's something one, one appreciates intellectually as an idea. Midas means, the next step is, it becomes something meaningful to me. Something I believe in, something I feel is the right thing. Midas is that feeling, I, I feel this is the right thing. Then there is machshava. Machshava is actually thinking about it. Thoughts. 
There's words, there's actions. That's an example for Hishtalshalos, where it evolves from one place to another place, Seichel to Midas, to Machshava, etc. We always used to say that Machshava comes before me, though, so we don't experience, we don't emote until we uh, conceive of the thought. Our thoughts are leading us to emote. Okay, that's a good question. You're asking that Machshava exists even in Seichel. How could you understand an idea without machshava? We can't process any seichel or any midas without machshava. Everything is through machshava. There's two concepts when we speak about machshava. There's machshava as a levush for seichel, and there's machshava as an independent reality. Meaning, all ideas we can only process through thoughts. There's no idea. I can't know about an idea without thought. But in that level, thought is a garment. It's a levush that processes the machshava. Let's think about this. People think in different languages. Some of you think in Russian. Some of you think in English. Some of you think in Yiddish or Hebrew, or whatever the language is. We think in different languages like we speak in different languages. So two people may be giving a speech. They're saying the same idea, but they're speaking in different languages. We may be thinking the same idea, but in different languages. In other words, machshava is basically made up of letters and words and oisius, that carry every seichel or every midah in a conscious way. So it's just like words. It's just words in a much more transcendent, subtle, and abstract way. That's machshava as a lavush, as a cloak, that carries any single idea. And that's why you could say the same seichel in different oisias. Sometimes the ran, the rosh, and toisvis are saying the same svar completely in different words. The same idea is being conveyed in completely different words. One says it this way, and one says it the other way. But it's really the same seichel. In other words, the seichel transcends the machshava, transcends the oisius. The same is true the mida. The mida, it's like almost a picture. It's a picture of something. And then in order to process it, you have the letters of thought that allow you to process it. That's why, I'll give you another example. Huh? CPU, right. I could, another thing is, I could read a page, yeah, children do it all the time, you could read a page of Mishnayas, right? Memorize it, <laughs> but not understand the word. Yeah. A lot of people know Ashrei by heart, right? But if you start asking the meaning of it, the person may not know. So, I have all the oisius, I have the letters, perfect, mamish perfect. Somebody would hear these letters, they understand it. Another person knows it verbatim much better than the, the person doesn't understand a word. Why? Because oisius are levush, they carry the idea or the emotion, but they're not synonymous with the idea. They are a levush that carries it. That's why people think in different languages. Yeah, We understand the idea, it's the same idea, but the way I access it is a different language. Uh, mother tongue, usually. Yeah. yeah, people don't realize that they think in a language. Yeah, yeah. People don't realize that they think in a language. That's the machshava that is bottled to seichel and midas. In other words, if I'm learning a shtikl gemara, right, and there's a svara, I process the svara, I access it through oisius, always through oisius. Dibur is where the oisius become very tangible and concrete. You know, you can measure them, you can feel them. They create earwaves, etc. Machshava, the oisius are still very, very subtle. They're more transcendent, they're more edel, they're not so coarse. But there's oisius. Just people are not so aware of it. That's machshava that is a levush for seich lamedus. Here he's talking machshava, actually thinking about something, which can be in the positive or the negative. You know, when somebody's obsessing about something, 
reflection, you're actually thinking about it. That's already a step after Midas. There's Machshava, there's Dibur, there's Maisa. Those are called the Levushim. That's Machshava as a reality in and of itself, which is part of the evolution that comes after Seichel and Midas. There's Seichel, there's Midas, there's Machshava. Are you talking about compilation? The second part? It's when you compile thoughts from different... Uh... That... that... That, that also, that could be on the level of Seichel, on the level of Midas, or on the level of Machshava. Machshava is the activity of actually thinking about something. Your mind is filled with, with deliberation, thoughts, reflections on this. Sometimes it could be in a very positive sense, sometimes it could be in a very annoying sense, whatever the situation is. You know, so I can't stop thinking about this, I'm thinking about this all day. Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, you can come up with new yeah. ideas, but through compiling of... Uh, yeah, yeah, and Machshava always works. I mean, you can't stop thinking, you know, try to stop thinking. <laughs> um, uh, you could have. Yeah, I mean, there's an interplay between all of them. There's a higher level of Machshava as a Levush? As a Levush to Seichel and a Levush to Midas, yeah. The higher, yeah, yeah. Right. So that's all an example for Hishtalshalos, of how, how, how things evolve in Hishtalshalos. Now, something may exist on the level of Seichel, not on the level of Midas. Right? On the level of Midas, but not so much a Machshava. On the level of Machshava, not Dibur, not Maisa, and so forth. Midas itself, each one itself, has many dimensions. In Seichel, there's Chachma, and there's Bina, and there's Das, right? In Midas, there's so many different types of Midas. This is just a very general blueprint, but each one comes with so many levels and, and, and branches and sub-branches, etc. When you speak about Midas, for example, yeah, there's so many different layers and levels of Midas. Midas is basically how Seichel becomes personal. It becomes a personal calling, a personal duty. Midas, we usually translate emotions. What, what exactly is an emotion? I told you a few times, when people say, I feel, you always have to distinguish between what I feel means, right? You'll hear a sentence, somebody says, I don't feel like going to the wedding, Around 60 seconds later, the person will say, but I feel like I have to go to the wedding. What You just said you don't feel like going to the wedding. They look at themselves as hypocritical. You're not a hypocrite. You're talking about two different realities. There's different levels of ishtalshalus. I don't feel like going to the wedding. is basically my body telling me I'm exhausted. That's what it means. <laughs> I don't feel. My hands and feet and stomach and head and appendix and kidney and pancreas and liver and chest and heart really don't feel like getting into the car and driving to Montreal. That's what it means. <laughs> it's not the Snish Savelt. That's what it means. I don't feel, yeah, my liver is not up to it. And my blood, my blood is also not up to it. That's it. That's what I don't... A minute later, but I feel like I should go to the wedding. You know why? It's my sister making a wedding. It's my brother making a wedding. It's my close friend making a wedding. And these people are dear to me. So I feel like I should go. What's the difference? <laughs> the first was simply you're, you're saying my, I'm not up to it. I'm exhausted. It's like saying I'm just exhausted. The second idea is basically your value. This is your conviction. And you're going to go. You'll probably go. I mean, you'll have to make a choice, but you'll probably go. And the reason is because this is what I feel. It's not translating in my body. My body is not screaming, yay, we're going to the wedding. Sometimes it does. Then you're great. Sometimes the mida, right, actually permeates everything. It goes into Machshava, goes into Dibur, it goes into Maisa, it goes into the Guf, and then you're great. Sometimes the Midah remains 
remains a value that doesn't translate in the most physical sense. Now, the disconnect, the disconnect. Now, often people look at themselves as hypocrites because I don't feel like going to the wedding. How do I not feel? You shouldn't look at yourself as a hypocrite. That's why this, this information is so important. It just means that it didn't go through all the levels of Ishtal So it means you're not a perfect person. So what? It means that not every value is 24 hours felt in every limb of my body. Okay. <laughs> this example you gave you, somebody is too tired to go, but you realize he has to go. It's just mind ruling over the heart. Yeah. Okay. What does it mean the mind ruling over the heart? It means what I, what, what I, what I believe to be valuable, of real value, yeah? Person said, I'm not in the mood going to chakras today. I'm not in the mood. It happens all the time, no? Right? I'm not in the mood coming to the Shia today. But look, you're here. <laughs> I don't mean you. I know you're always in the mood because you're here like two hours before, so you have to be in the mood. But I wake up in the morning. I'm not in the mood. What does it mean? I'm not. So I'm saying, do it. No, I'm a hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite. I'm not in the mood simply means, yeah? That my, my, my parts of my body are not up to it. So what? Fun. So there's no complete oneness. The truth that I believe in has not evolved and encompassed the totality of my existence. New is vos. That's not a hypocrite. When you identify these things, you can understand. I can act on my values even if I'm not feeling it. There's no physical sensation. Feeling that it's a physical sensation is also a fact. Of course. You're right. A hundred percent. Exactly. And exactly, these are two truths. The fact that I'm exhausted is a fact, and it's competing against my value, and now I could make an informed choice. I can make an informed choice. Huh? Vayisas raglov. That the body, the body was was instinctively aligned with the soul's values. On the other hand, sometimes we have Right. By Bilam, you're saying by Bilam, right? Yeah. And we know when we're very excited about something, the body is completely there, right? You tell your child it's time to get up in the morning. He's like, I haven't had enough sleep. We're going to Six Flags at three o'clock in the morning. Everybody's dressed with snacks and like, really? Why can't you do this for the past twelve years in school? The answer is because this is not school. <laughs> this is a Chalamayid uh, Ringling Brothers. Uh, we're going to eat bananas by the Ringling Brothers on Chalamayid. So it's a whole different parsha. So the Ringling Brothers closed down. I heard right. So what do we do Chalamayid now? We just well, six flags, okay? Or we just eat the eggs in the house. We just eat the main thing is the, the eggs, the hard-boiled eggs and the polkas. That's the, the main thing in aluminum foil. Anyway, so uh, so the bottom line is, in other words, we see that the goof will respond if 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 something is really, you know, if something really speaks to the goof on that level. So that's the that's the element of ishtalshalus. There's a flow of energy, and things get translated from one level to another level to another level. Then he says, All of Ishtalshalus generally is called Yeshmiyash. Yeshmiyash means it's one item, one entity that's morphed from a previous Yesh. Yeshmiyash. To give that example, the apple tree in your backyard is a Yesh. It comes from a Yesh, and that's the seed. That seed is a Yesh that comes from a previous Yesh, which is the previous tree. And it always boils down to that original yesh, the original progenitor 
which had within it the potential all of the subsequent yeshes. It's always yesh miyesh. This all is a metaphor for the divine flow, one form of flow of the Ein Saif, which happens from ila to ila, from one yesh to another yesh, as it goes down, as it flows down in a very intricate and nuanced evolutionary process from the spiritual all the way down to the physical. Vihine, I use the word evolution, please don't confuse it with Darwin, Darwin, Darwinism and Darwinist evolution. Here we're talking about evolution from the Ruchni to the Gashmi, from the metaphysical to the physical, and from the metaphysical to the metaphysical. The second flow is Lamailam in Ishtalshalus is one that skips through hishtalshalus. It transcends this flow. Yesh me'ayin mamish me'ayin hamuchlat. This will always be defined as yesh me'ayin, not yesh me'yesh. Yesh me'yesh is alul from ilah, from alul from ilah, from alul from ilah. You have an antecedent which has a previous antecedent, which has a previous antecedent, it's always yesh from yesh. Then there is, and that's called hishtalshalus. Then there is yesh me'ayin mamish. Something that emerges from ayin. What do I mean ayin? He says, may ayin hamuchlat, from absolute ayin. And the reason he adds hamuchlat is there's ayin that's relative. Relative means in the world of a nail, the ideas are not really relevant, right? Try building your sukkah by explaining to your nail the importance of sukkah. The nail won't respond. The nail only believes in hammers. Why? Because in the world of the nail, your ideas don't really exist. For a person, I could explain to you something and persuade you to do something, but the nail needs the physical act of the hammer. In other words, the hammer for the nail is reality. Ideas for the nail are ayin. They don't exist, but it's not ayin hamuchlat. In another world, ideas are much more powerful than hammers, right? For a person who's a bar seichel, coming with a hammer won't do anything. Maybe just strike some fear into him. But ideas could change his life in a very deep way. Ayin hamuchlot means, not relative ayin, but absolute ayin. Yesh me ayin hamuchlot means, it's a new yesh. It's not yesh me yesh. It's not a development of the previous. It's not the chicken that came from the egg that came from the chicken. And in the progenitor, you had already the properties of the future reality. Yesh me ayin means, ex nihilo, that it's something that emerges from nothing, so it's not an evolutionary process. It's not from seichel, then it goes down to midis, and then it goes down to machshav, and each one is basically a development of the former, which is called yesh miyesh. Yesh means it skips the process of ishtalshalus. It's a reality that is completely new, and when we say new, we don't mean relative new, we mean really new. Yesh mamish comes from nothingness, comes something, and in nothingness, you don't have the properties of somethingness, because the egg has the properties that will allow a chicken to hatch. That's why from the egg of a chicken, you're not going to have an apple tree. And from the egg of a person, you're not going to have a chicken. From the egg of a mother, you're going to have a human fetus. That's just the process of things, right? And from the egg of the salmon fish, you're not going to have a, car- a carp fish or, or Chilean sea bass or a herring or a human being or a horse. You're going to have a salmon. Why? Because it's yesh miyesh. And the second yesh is defined by the first yesh, which is defined by the previous yesh, which is defined by the previous yesh. Ayin doesn't have the properties of yesh. Ayin means absolutely nothing. In other words, it's a completely new reality. In our world, we don't have an example of yesh ayin within our own orbit, within our own activities. Similar, but not mamish. 
Ah. Software. Somebody writes a software. It creates from nothing, and uh, you know, just gets an idea, and that idea is formulated in uh, in software in the code. The same thing with the seed of the tree. The first seed of the tree. Somebody had to code it. Somebody had to code that DNA. I'm sorry. Right. Right. There's a code there. There's a software. Yeah. I mean, but I signature. But we're always working with a first yes. That's what I mean. We have examples for it, but we also we have to work with some first yes. You're right, but that's the Rebbeinu Shalaylam. Yeah, yeah. You need a computer language first. He had a computer language. DNA is a computer language. So this has to where there's a gap that absolutely cannot be traversed, like a run to see Does this or am I getting confused? Touch on No, no, no. Whenever you have an evolution of ilava alul, an antecedent, and its subsequent result and child, ila is the cause. Alul is what comes from the ila, the, the chicken that comes from the egg, the tree that comes from the seed. Very beautiful words. When the alul, the child, gets close to the ila, to its progenitor, to its source. It rises from a lower place to a higher place and it gets closer to who it is, where it comes from. It can grasp something of its source because I come from there. And that always causes a tremendous sense of joy, of ecstasy. The alul is sasvesameach. It rejoices and celebrates boy in the ilah. And this joy is grand, it's great. Like the prince, interesting metaphor. Like the prince who comes out of captivity, he's been abducted by gangsters for so many years or fell into the hands of the enemy, and then that day when he comes out of Shivya, when he comes out of captivity, and he comes and he sees the face of his father. There's few joys in life that can describe that simcha of the closeness that comes after alienation and distance. Why is the simcha so great on both levels? The father or mother are so grateful and happy to be able to reunite with their child, and the child is so happy to be able to reunite with his parents. Because they're really one. They're really very deeply connected. But they have been separated. The circumstances of life have separated them. Yeah, similar. All, all forms of this marshal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is just, you know, one manifestation of the marshal. But that marshal exists on so many different levels. Every ilava alul, the ila, really is a yesh miyesh. A yesh miyesh means you were first pregnant in the first yesh. You're a child. And then the child separates. So there's pain on both levels. There's pain on the ilah's level. There's pain on the Allah's level. Whenever you're separated from yourself and who you really are, there's a certain pain. There's a certain anxiety. The great simcha of that unity, of being one with who you really are, of meeting yourself by meeting your source, that creates a very, very deep sense of joy. The joy of unification after that distance. That's the joy that the child who meets the parent, the parent who meets the child, and of course when there's no, he gives this example of captivity because when they're together, there's an expression, tainuk tmidi enoi tainuk. You know, when you're together, you don't feel that joy. 
it's just like, you know, it's, 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 it's inherent, it's, it's more concealed. But the separation is one that creates a tremendous tension. And when that tension is resolved, it creates a new simcha. And we know this even, uh, we don't have to go as far as shivya. You know, sometimes a child feels alienated from parents. Parents feel alienated from children. They feel that their child has been abducted, so to speak, physically or emotionally. And when that meeting takes place, when there is that sense of clarity and unification, it's just a tremendously deep simcha. It's a celebration that is is absolutely unique. You know, if somebody's child, Chas is going through processes and, and challenges and journeys, as some of some people around this table know very well what I'm talking about, and then when they come out on the other side, or at least come out partially on the other side, the simcha on both both sides, Tati and and, and the, the father and the child, or the mother and the child, is uh, is unparalleled. It's unprecedented. In spiritual language, in spiritual language, what is it? It's the Alul and the Ilah coming back. It's the Alul and the Ilah, that the Alul is masig the Ilah. In spirituality, a hug is not physical. A hug is hasaga. Hasaga means, I get it. When you get it, you have it, right? You hug it. Lahasig means to reach it, to comprehend it. When you're talking about spirituality, I can't physically hug it, but I can hug it in my mind, in my soul, and my heart. So the olul is masig the ilah, and suddenly the olul is at peace. It's one of them. All the tension in our life, or I should say, I don't know, all, these are big words, much of the tension of our life is really from the olul and the ilah being in a state of dissonance. The olul is trying to make a life for itself when really it belongs close to the ilah. And the ilah is trying to make a life for itself when really the olul belongs to the Elah. We see this in the animal kingdom, the cry of the young, of the cubs, you know, when mommy is away, that natural cry, because the Alul and the Elah belong together. And uh, at least at a certain stage in life, until the, the, the Alul is ready to become a new Elah and create a new generation, you know, when the birds have to fly away from the nest. So the Alul and the Elah, when they come together, there is always a very deep, deep simcha the hiskarvus of the alul to the ilah. Now, what we have to understand is that it's not always so simple. Because sometimes the alul has such a hard time getting close to the ilah because there's too much pain involved. There's no pain that the alul can experience like the pain that comes from the ilah. Right? It's, it's the sad thing of life. But the ones who are closest to you cause you the most joy, but they also could cause you the most pain. That's why Jewish kids and their mothers have a complicated relationship. Many Jewish kids, because there's nobody as close to you as your mother or your father. And therefore, when the when there is dissonance in that relationship, whether it's real or not real, but the the whenever I'm very close to somebody, I can be hurt by that person more than anybody else. A stranger can't hurt me like the one who's so close to me, because the expectations are so much deeper. So that's why the Ilah and the Alul's relate. When we speak about Shivya here, you know, he's giving the very practical example, they took away the child. Sometimes life has taken away the child. Sometimes experiences have taken away the child. So when that Ilah comes back to the Alul, when I can work through, work through that pain, it's a very, very uh, uh, powerful experience, because beneath the pain, there's usually a yearning for closeness. And if I can identify that yearning for closeness, 
So then, a lot of good things happen. So that's one level of simcha, when the Olul and, and Ila come back together. Kach, tia, simchas ha'olul, bihigolois niglois alav oir ha'ila shalamayla. Similar to the Ben HaMelech who meets his father, is going to be the simcha of the Olul. When? Oir ha'ila bihigolois niglois alav, such poetry. When the oir of the ila gets revealed on the Olul shalamayla. Instead of the fact that the Ela descended down a long road, and a tremendous distance was created between him and his Elah. And he became so distant from the light of his face in all of these Seseramadregas, these secret levels meaning. Because it went down so low, so now, and the evolution was so intense. So therefore, there is so much concealment and so much distance. But when the Alul experiences the light of the Elah, it feels embraced. It reunites with its own core, with its own source. That's like the Simcha of the child coming back to the father. Instead of the distance where you're so far you come back, you overcame that distance because the Elah spread out its wings, it extended its light, and the Olul was resubsumed in that original, in that original oil. All of this is because now in this revelation, he has a hasage. He can experience how he left darkness to light. Grief became ha- uh, a happy day and enslavement became redemption. The distance is a state of afela. It's a state of shibud. It's a state of, uh, of evil. The person is basically in, separated from themselves, which is the worst form of prison. The worst form of prison is, I'm in exile. When somebody's in exile, what does it mean? It means that some others are in control over me. I'm a, I'm a prison. I can't do what I want. I'm basically at your mercy. What does it mean to be in a psychological prison? I could be free physically. I could move around. But internally, I'm in a trap. Right? I'm, I'm a slave to my fears or my insecurities or my past or my trauma, whatever it is. And that's where I live. I really live there. And the Olul is completely not free. The Olul has been abducted by other realities. It does not know itself. The first definition of freedom is know thyself. To be able to know yourself. To really be able to know yourself and then you could be yourself. That is the Allah coming back to the Elah and experiencing it. And then it has a hasaga in the Elah. When it has a hasaga in the Elah, what does it mean? It's like, wow. <laughs> so this is who I am. So this is who I'm supposed to be. You know, I've been walking around with a washing machine on this shoulder, a washing machine on this shoulder, another washing machine on my head. (laughs) And I thought, this is life. This is the leaven. And then it's taken off. Oh, wow, this is what life feels like. It's like the first time a person puts on glasses and he realizes there's a world to see. Really, this is what the world looks like. All of this is an expression in a tangible way of this simcha, of the Olul coming back, which is an introduction to be able to understand what simchas yamtif is about, as we will continue, Be'ezer Hashem. But what you said in the beginning, this, the idea about Adam, 
Ah, Shlimu, the integration. But, but you, you, you said something really, I mean, you said a lot of things that were fantastic and profound. This idea, which I, I wish I could show some of my people in the office who are supposed to be leaders, that if you amputate a part, a, a something which is a part of yourself, then you'll end up always forcing others to amputate. It's such a tremendous disorder. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about that, there has to be exposure to everything, understands everything. So I want to tell you, I showed you this once before, it's, it's a famous... Address. That's basically what you spoke from Rabbi Soloveitchik yes, about the two, the two creations. That's what I want to show you exactly. The Rashi, he says, Ofer min Adama. Tzavar Ofer. Me Abaruchas. But I remember the words of the essay. I really promise you this. I have to find it. But his words in the essay that beautifully says, there's no place in the cosmos when man feels unfamiliar. That was, mm. There's no place in the cosmos that he feels like he's a stranger so because, of, because of this suffer from we call everyone. Mm. There's no place where he feels out of place yeah? versus, versus, you know, Mizbah Adama, that's, it's only one place. It's, Organic. That was, that was Mamish, the same idea you were saying, yes, that's what I was thinking. If you could send it to I'll me, if you have it. I have to find it. It's, it was a, he gave it as a lecture at Rutgers University, I think in the early 70s, to very, I think, secular college students. And it was became such a dramatic hit. It was ultimately written up the text of the essay. I think it was called Majesty and Humility. There, I, I have to find it. Just one second. You say freedom, that, that should know yourself. It's interesting that there is a freedom, internal freedom. That's that, that, that's the real freedom. And there is a society freedom, which is like they impose on you. Sure, you can be free, anything. You can be anything but yourself. So, like, you know, in America, they they, they, they sometimes they hint to a Jew that you can be anything here with free society, but what you want to be yourself. So it's like the complete opposite of freedom. The, the freedom employed in society is totally opposite because freedom comes only from itself. That's the true freedom. Right. There's an external freedom you're saying, the freedom where they tell you you could be whatever you want besides 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 yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and sometimes the freedom to be whatever you want helps you forget who you are too. And then there's a different type of freedom, yeah. The real freedom. I experienced that when I came to the United States. So that's, you know, it's like a free society. But the minute you show that you chose to be free, like the Jew... Not good. Not good. That is like, you know, wow. That we didn't want. That we didn't want. You want to assimilate. You want any... Like everybody else, but not like yourself. Right. As long as freedom means you uh, assimilate as a good freedom, we accept you. Huh? You dissolve. You dissolve in the melting pot. Yeah, it's a different type of freedom. This freedom is uh, <laughs> the allul. The allul feels the illa. The hast are the allul's will fill in the illa. The fills the illa. The Olam is always a de- derivative. It's a descendant. It's a descendant. On that level, we're soon going to see another level. <laughs> you know, by the Alter Rebbe, there's always uh, there's this and there's that. <laughs> Consciousness operates on many levels. It's also interesting language. It's a very interesting language. Before it was a Marsham, it's not nice. 
I'm sorry, what did you say? No, no problem. Look, uh, calling for his question, on Adam with the love spoke about yesterday morning, Shabbos morning, is that uh, the beauty about interconnecting with yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we achieve that level? Ah. Yeah, okay. I guess the first stage is listening. Listening. To other people's experiences. Listening to other people. And their experiences, yeah. Yeah. On the lighter note, he said we spoke to young people that they have to grow up and come to the relief Mecca means that we have to respect yeah. your parents. Yeah. So once we say this class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net please help us continue the classes Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.